this time of year, there's a lot of football games on television. And I've noticed something while watching these games that I think is quite illustrative of the human condition. Maybe you've seen this too. It's when there's two players maybe going out for a pass and there's clearly a pass interference foul that's happened, but the referee does not blow the whistle. What happens to the person who is negatively affected by that? He throws up his arms, says, come on, ref, didn't you see that? And the, all the fans in the stadium go boo to the ref. But if you notice, maybe on the very next play or on the next drive, if that same player that threw his hands in the air with that no call, what if there was a no call on a foul that he committed? Silence. He doesn't go to the ref and say, come on, ref, you didn't call me for the foul. <laughs> it's funny, you've never seen that, right? When it comes to wrongdoing, people want justice for the other guy and mercy for themselves. Isn't that true? It's just really clearly displayed there on the football field, but it happens in all of our lives. When we've been sinned against, we want God to judge. When we've sinned, we can, you know, overlook it quite easily and hope that we get mercy. We want justice for the other guy, but mercy for ourselves. I bring all of this up because we're entering into a few weeks of a sermon series on the minor prophets. Most churches don't preach the minor prophets. This is tough sledding to get through. But the minor prophets, they're kind of like the referees of the Bible. They blow the whistle on us for our sins. And I want you to pay attention as we look at Amos and Obadiah and Ezra and these prophets of God. I want you to pay attention to your own heart as you hear some of these words from the text. Pay attention when you sense in your heart, kind of like the football player who goes, but what about the other guys? Or when you're pleading with God for mercy for your own sins. Pay attention to what the Holy Spirit stirs in you and ask him, ask the Holy Spirit to blow the whistle even on your own sins, not just the sins of those people out there, but even on your own that you might learn from the Holy Spirit, from the truth of his word. Because the reality that the prophets point us to is that God is full of both justice and mercy. That when we hear the words of the prophet, we hear justice, but we also hear the mercy of God. Before we dive into Amos, I want to give you a little bit of background to get to know Amos. He's one of these minor prophets. By the way, the word minor prophet simply means that their books are shorter in the Bible. There's the major prophets, Isaiah and Jeremiah. Then you have these minor prophets. And they serve during the reign of various kings in the Old Testament times in Israel. Amos served during the reign of someone named King Jeroboam II. I want, to see, want you to see this artist's depiction of Jeroboam II. This is a screen capture from the Bible Project video on Amos. I highly recommend the Bible Project videos on any book of the Bible. They're so helpful in summarizing the books. I took this as a screen capture when they're talking about Jeroboam II. Jeroboam II is actually the longest serving king in Israel's history. He served for 41 years. And he served at a time when there was a tremendous amount of wealth in the nation. He followed Jeroboam I, and Jeroboam I, well, what he's known for in the Bible is for allowing idolatry. 
he himself worshipped at the altar of golden calves and he allowed the whole nation to do the same as long as they also kept the feasts of God. What the Bible tells us about Jeroboam II is that he kept that practice going. People could worship whoever they wanted as long as they also came to the temple and also worshipped Yahweh. And interestingly, he was so blessed with wealth and the nation was being blessed with wealth. You see here it says he won new territory and generated wealth. But he also had this major moral corruption in his heart and in the nation. It says here he allowed idolatry and injustice. You see that? He generated wealth, but he also allowed idolatry and injustice. So here's this nation. It's a bit of a paradox in the Old Testament. Normally, when you had a righteous king, God would bless the nation materially. And when you had an unrighteous king, he would remove his blessing. But here's an example in the Old Testament. When you had an unrighteous king, but material blessing float for 41 years. In the book of Amos, Amos is the prophet during the time of Jeroboam. Think of a referee who would blow the whistle. Amos would go up to Jeroboam, he'd go up to the people of the nation, he'd blow the whistle and he would say, I see your wealth, but I also see your sin. And he would call people out. It's not exactly the kind of friend you'd want to have hanging around. Nobody really wants a referee in their lives. Let me give you just an example. If you want to open your Bible, I want to show you one example in Amos, Amos chapter 2. What we read today was Amos chapter 9, but I want to give an example of Amos blowing the whistle, as it were, on the sin that was going on in the nation. Amos chapter 2, I think it's page 909 in your Bible. Amos chapter 2, verse 6. Here's one example of a sin pattern that Amos called out among the people. Thus says the Lord, For three transgressions of Israel and for four I will not revoke the punishment because, and here's the sin that he's blowing the whistle on, they sell the righteous for silver and the needy for a pair of sandals. Those who trample the head of the poor into the dust of the earth and turn aside the way of the afflicted. And he goes on from there to name a number of other sins. But I want us just to look at this one for a moment because I think we can learn something from it. He says, they sell the righteous for silver and the needy for a pair of sandals. You see, in the nation at this time, the people had servants in their households. And Amos noticed that with all of their wealth, they could afford more servants. They could afford more material things in their homes. And he noticed that people were buying and selling the servants in their households for silver, for example, or for a new pair of shoes. Can you imagine going over to your friend's house and saying, hey, what happened to your servant that you had here? And your friend's saying, oh, I sold her. I wanted a new pair of shoes. That's what's happening here. Amos is pointing out that the shiny objects of silver and new shoes had become more enchanting to the people than treating people well. They had begun to overvalue material possessions, a new piece of silver in their collection or another pair of shoes, Oh, and they started to devalue the human beings who were in their care. So this is Amos blowing the whistle on the nation of Israel saying, I see your wealth. And by the way, God never says wealth itself is a problem, but it's the way people can use wealth. Wealth is neutral. 
You can do tremendous blessings with wealth, but you can also curse with wealth. And Amos is blowing the whistle here saying, with all of the wealth that God has given you, you're not treating people very well anymore. Now, apparently, the people heard this message from Amos and kind of like that football player throwing up their arms. They said, yeah, but I'm still religious. I still go to worship on the Sabbath. God must be pleased with that. I I still celebrate the feasts of God. But look what God says in response to that. Amos 5, verse 21. This is God speaking through Amos. He says, I hate, I despise your feasts, and I take no delight in your solemn assemblies. God sees the people gathered in solemn assembly to worship him, and he's like, I take no delight in that because I see what you're doing throughout the rest of the week. Even though you offer me burnt offerings and grain offerings, these are the religious practices that they would do, I will not accept them. And the peace offerings of your fattened animals, I will not look upon them. Take away from me the noise of your songs. To the melody of your harps, I will not listen. This is a harsh word from God. God is saying, I hear you singing praises to me on Sunday, but I don't even want to listen because I know how you treated people on Tuesday. Get that music out of here. Whew, this is a harsh word from God in verse 24, but let justice roll down like waters and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. What God is communicating through Amos is that God wants us to be just. He wants us to be righteous. When he blesses us, it's for a purpose. He's unimpressed with our religiosity if we're not acting justly to the people in our lives. I hate to say it, it gets worse from here. <laughs> what does God think about all this? What does he really, how, what's the result of all this sin, all of this mistreating of people. Look with me at the verses that come right before the verses we read today. Flip over to Amos 9, verses 9 and 10. The people might still be thinking, yeah, but God's just going to give us grace again, right? Even though we're mistreating people. Well, look how it concludes here. For behold... I will command and shake the house of Israel among all the nations as one shakes with a sieve, but no pebble shall fall to the earth. All the sinners of my people shall die by the sword, who say disaster shall not overtake or meet us. I want you just to feel the tension of this word for a moment. It's going to resolve, but just feel the tension. This is the way God really truly feels about sin. That if he was going to blow the whistle like a referee and call us for our fouls, the penalty for our sin would be death. The New Testament says the wages of sin is death. We don't normally hear this when we hear the gospel, but it's a part of the gospel. The wages of sin is death. We actually know this experientially in our lives. The wages of sin, the consequences of sin is death. We know that if we eat and drink and smoke terrible things, eventually our bodies will die. 
The wages of sin is death. We know that if we lust outside of our marriage enough, eventually the intimacy of our marriage will die. The wages of sin is death. What the people experienced here in Amos' time was the consequences of their sin. You see, they had flirted with the idols and the materialism of their neighboring countries enough that eventually those nations overtook them. Right after Jeroboam's reign, the next king came in and he was really weak militarily and the nations around them overtook them and some of them did die by the sword. The consequences of sin is death. So this is God's justice. It's hard to hear. Thanks for sticking with me through this first part of the sermon. I know this is not pleasant, but listen, this is important. When God blows the whistle in his justice, he also speaks mercy. Look what it says in the very next verse. This is what we had read for us today. Verse 11. In that day, this day of justice, this day of judgment, in that very same day, what will happen? I will raise up the booth of David that has fallen, repair its breaches, raise up its ruins, rebuild. See these verbs? Raise up, repair, rebuild. When there is death in God's economy, he brings new life out of it. He speaks justice and judgment in his righteousness, and death comes as a result of sin, but then he speaks, he breathes mercy and new life that comes out of that same situation. And God gives the people through Amos here in the next few verses, three pictures, three things for them to think about while his mercy is being doled out to them. A tent, a farm, and a city with gardens. A tent, a farm, and a city with gardens. The tent really speaks of restored worship. You see where it says in verse 11, in that day I will raise up the booth, that's the same word for tent, but at this point, it had been reduced down to a booth. The tent is the tabernacle, the place where people worshipped Yahweh. I will raise up the booth of David that is fallen. Why is it fallen? Because people were off worshipping other idols. They had abandoned the temple and its practices and true worship of God. God, in his mercy, after he sees all of us in our sin, he wants to restore true worship back to our hearts. It's what we're all doing this morning gathering in this room, gathered under the banner of this cross. God knows that over the last six days, our hearts have been tempted to wander, to, to go after false gods that would present themselves as satisfying. We come back here on Sunday for true worship, to get rightly ordered worship. I will raise up the booth. I will restore worship. And then he gives this picture of, of a farm. And I think God is speaking that he wants us to live in honest economy with one another. Look what it says in verse 13. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when the plowman shall overtake the reaper and the treader of grapes, him who sows the seed. The mountains shall drip sweet wine and all the hills shall flow with it. I will restore the fortunes of my people Israel. Notice these are agricultural terms that God is speaking in. God could see that they were trading in silver and sandals for human beings. And he says, I will restore you to this economy that I designed you for. Remember when God called the people to the promised land, he said it's a land flowing with milk and honey. 
These are agricultural terms. God didn't say, I'll call you to the promised land. It's flowing with gold and silver. So God is restoring first the tent, first right worship, when he sees us in our sin and he speaks, he blows the whistle, he speaks his justice and his mercy. He wants us to have true worship once again, but also then an honest economy where we treat people the right way with our economic practices. And then thirdly, he says he'll rebuild cities with gardens. And I think what he's speaking of here is right relationship in community with one another. Verse 14, I will restore the fortunes of my people Israel. They shall rebuild the ruined cities and inhabit them. They shall plant vineyards and drink their wine. They shall make gardens and eat their fruit. I will plant them on their land. They shall never again be uprooted out of the land that I have given them, says the Lord your God. What I picture here is joyful, harmonious, community living. When God gives his mercy to us, he wants to restore true worship. Honest economy, honest dealings with people, and joyful relationships living in community. This is God's mercy for us. It's what he wants for us. But what about that justice piece? Maybe you're still hung up there. What I read just a couple of minutes ago where God says that sin leads to this death by the sword. Well, here's the amazing thing I really want us to see today. We know something Amos didn't yet know. We are people of the new covenant. We're people of the New Testament. God is still a God of both justice and mercy, but the cross is the place where God's justice and his mercy meet. You see, God sees all of us in all of our sin. Are we much different than the people that Amos was observing? No. And God blows the whistle on us. And he says, I see you in your sin. And then he says, justice must be done. Justice must be paid. The penalty for the foul must be enacted. But Jesus steps in and he says, I will take the punishment. I will receive the justice so that they can have the mercy. And Jesus takes the judgment that we deserve. The penalty of sin is death. We ought to die by the sword. And Jesus says, I will die in their place. The cross is the place where God's justice and his mercy meet. Sometimes people ask, man, why is there so much wrath in the Old Testament? And seemingly none in the New. Well, the reality is there's just as much wrath in the New Testament. It's just that in the New Testament, all the wrath of God is poured out on one man in one afternoon. There's a verse in Romans that summarizes this well. Romans 5, verses 8 and 9. It says, God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we've now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. 
You see, this is a description of how on the cross, his justice and his mercy meet. The wrath of God is still real, and we still deserve it because of our sin, but we don't get it. Jesus does on the cross. Please understand this, people, because there's some really bad theology out there. I see it all the time in our culture. People still expect the wrath of God to come down upon them. They still expect condemnation from God because of sin. I hear this sometimes, oh, that bad thing happened to so-and-so because of all his sin. Or I hear about it in our nation. Some terrible thing happens, 9-11 or something, and somebody gets on television and says, God is punishing us for the sins. Those people don't realize what happened on the cross. The wrath, the condemnation was absorbed into the body of Christ. We don't receive that wrath and condemnation anymore. We receive his mercy instead. So when, when we realize that, when we see that, well, we might ask ourselves, well, should I just go on sinning then? Since he gets all the punishment? And if you thought that, it means you're really beginning to get the gospel. Seriously. We don't go on sinning. We are filled with so much gratitude and awe for what Jesus has done for us, for taking the punishment we deserve, that we want to live lives of mercy. And there's actually a really good blueprint here in Amos for how we might live when we realize what's been done for us, where God's justice and mercy have met on the cross, and we are the amazing recipients of the generosity of God. We might, we might look at something like Amos... And think, this is how I want to live now. I need my tent restored. I need right worship once again. I want to worship God in a pure heart. Or maybe it's my economic dealings with the people in my life. I can start treating them with dignity, with righteousness. Or maybe I'm not living in harmony with the community of people in my city. See, this is a wonderful blueprint Amos has given us, the restored tent, the restored economy, and the restored city with gardens. This, this is our way of life now as followers of Christ, as recipients of his mercy, true worship, honest dealings, and harmonious community relationships. Don't we all want that anyway? It's what God wants for us too. So I don't know uh, which aspect of this you need to hear this morning. Maybe you sensed, as I went through this difficult text, maybe you sensed the Holy Spirit blow the whistle on something in your own life. Maybe it's that you wander off sometimes in your heart and you chase after the false gods of this world. Maybe you're enchanted by material objects and you value that over human beings. I know I do that. I'll just, if that makes it easier for you to admit it, I'll admit it, I do it. <laughs> or maybe you're not living in, in harmonious relationship with your neighbors, the people in our city, the people in wherever you live. Did the Holy Spirit blow the whistle on anybody on any of these things? He did on me. The good news of the gospel is that 
We don't have to live in fear of God's wrath or condemnation because Jesus paid it all. And now we're freed up to live as people of mercy, with true worship, honest dealings, harmonious community. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would come and I do pray that you would be that referee. He'd blow the whistle on us. We don't like to hear it. We'd rather hear about the other guy. But Holy Spirit, soften our hearts, expose our own sin, our own ways that we've wandered. And Jesus, we thank you for taking the judgment, receiving the justice that we deserve. Fill our hearts with your mercy. Restore us, repair us, rebuild us. Raise us up. In Jesus' name, amen.